What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey, it's Kyle Meredith, host of the Kyle Meredith with podcast, presented by WFPK at WFPK.org and the Consequence Podcast Network. It's a series that puts the spotlight on iconic musicians and actors, inviting them to drop by and talk about their latest projects, whether it's albums, TV shows, films, or beyond. I'm going to say something I don't want to say. Here it goes. Without Spinal Tap, there is no Tenacious D. Whoa. (laughs) Man. We get great stories and the biggest scoops from people like Garbage's Shirley Manson, the 1975's Matty Healy, Jack Black and Kyle Gass of Tenacious D, Maya Hawk, Kiefer Sutherland, and everyone in between. New episodes arrive every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with your favorite artists and discover some new ones. You can find Kyle Meredith with on the Consequence Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. The Abruptors formed just under a decade ago in Buffalo, New York. Their music is rooted in traditional ska and two-tone grooves, meaning that at their formation, they didn't have a lot of peers. Nevertheless, they became the go-to Buffalo ska band, opening for nearly every band that came through town. And even Mike Park took notice and signed them to Asian Man Records. Their new album, Noticeably Cheerless, was released on Asian Man on February 24th. Though the first single, Waiting Forever, came out on February 7th, an apt title as the band had been waiting a long time for the record to get pressed. I first met the Abruptors at the uh, Asian Man Records 20th anniversary. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Mike put them as uh, one of the openers on one of the Link 80 reunion shows. Oh. It was them one one show, and on the other show, it was uh, All People, Greg from Bad Operations Band. So that was my first time meeting Greg and my first time meeting the Abruptors. Did you skank when the Abruptors played? Uh, Honestly, probably not, but I do remember enjoying them more than I expected to. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, you know, Link 80 reunion was kind of a weird, surreal moment for me, but I do remember enjoying their set and I I do feel like uh, I hit it off with them. Nice. And and little did you know. All these years later, (laughs) I'd have a podcast with you. And we'll be talking to the Abruptors. Well, first thing I want to talk about is um, you guys did a cover of Brian Fallon's uh, Forget Me Not. Yeah. He retweeted it. Yeah, he retweeted it, sent us a nice little message. It was awesome. Tell me the um, inspiration behind that cover initially. <sighs> it's kind of just uh, was listening to a lot of uh, Gaslight Anthem and had found out that he had been doing solo projects 
through a, a ska group actually, which is kind of interesting. They were just passing around that song, Forget Me Not. So in the ska group, everyone's just like, listen to this non-ska song. So it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like a, a Hot Knives uh, fan fan uh, group, I guess. Oh, okay. Every once in a while, the uh, guy who runs it, name is Derek, he will promote anything from like our band to other ska bands around the world to just random stuff that he finds that he really likes. And I think that song kind of reminded him of like a ska song, but obviously it was not. Uh, and it just kind of inspired me to sit down with a guitar and see if I can make it a little bit more like old school, traditional ska feel. And we did. And um, we had a plan actually to start performing that song. And we practiced it maybe once. And then the uh, shutdown happened. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing just got scrapped. <laughs> uh. and, you know, we're always looking for like interesting covers and stuff like that. We We try to stay away from more stereotypical stuff. Yeah. Let's talk about some of your covers. I know you've done, you did ME330 Understand. You did that for the uh, ME330 uh, comp. Mm-hmm. What are some other ones you've done? Uh, we did To Have To Have Not by Billy Bragg. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I was thinking about. Yeah. We get, we get that one a lot um, requested. People like that one a lot. Uh, get a few people who tell us that it's been covered too many times. They don't understand why we did it. And then <laughs> you look it up and you're like, there's two you're like okay one's very very poor the other one's great um but you know i think Lars frederickson was obviously the most famous for doing that it's awesome and i think tim time bomb and friends did it it was a little weird um so <laughs> i don't think our uh, adding a third one was uh too much but you know a lot of people love it when we play it we had a guy last night we we're playing a show he was the, this is really weird. He was uh, one of the producers for Less Than Jake for Hello Rockview. Really? He just happened to be in our area. He was touring with Modern English. Okay. And uh, we were playing that show and we played that song. He pulled up a stool and just his eyes were glued to us as we played it. And he's just screaming, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we got off the stage after we played and he handed us his card, which was awesome. He's like, yeah, I'd love to work with you guys. So. That song's been good to us. <laughs> and what's his name? Steve Kravick, maybe? I can't pronounce his last name. I still have this card in my pocket. <laughs> oh, well, you pronounce it then. <laughs> yes, yeah, Steve Kravick. <laughs> there we go. All right, shout out to Steve Kravick. <laughs> do you guys, do you have a Hot Knives song that you do? Yeah, we got a couple of them, actually. We're going to be on a comp for that next year. Um, we, we recorded uh, Dave and Mary. Mm. And uh, WLN. I feel like, uh, so Hot Knives are a really good band, but I feel like a lot of people that listen to this show maybe aren't aware of them. Oh, absolutely. Um, you want to give people a little bit of a, just a little brief summary of who Hot Knives are, were and why they were so amazing? Sure. I mean, for me, the Hot Knives were, uh, I don't know, they have, there's this special, this is kind of dumb to say, but for my American ears, it's like a special Britishness to them. Yeah. That just really, I don't know. It gives you this really, their storytelling gives you this really wonderful feeling. And they kind of came after the specials, after Madness, after the English beats. So they really missed that whole two-tone era. They were definitely more in the like late 80s, early 90s. So Scott was not popular, even in England. Wasn't really doing well, but they formed this amazing band that often just gets overlooked. 
Yeah, there was like sort of a there was sort of a second ska revival in England in the late '80s, early '90s, but um, and there was a wasn't like it was before. Yeah, yeah, there was a bunch of really good bands, Hot Knives being one of them, but um, they, it didn't it didn't gain the mainstream success in the UK that it did there, and it didn't really come to the US hardly at all. Exactly. Hot Knives, though, yeah, definitely a band to check out if if you're interested in this specific time period of ska. So Mike Park first retweeted your video or it wasn't a video it was just an audio like an audio youtube thing yeah of for forget me not and then brian fallon retweeted it and uh, in his tweet he talked about how oh, a lot of people don't know this but i'm you know I, i'm an old school ska fan and asian man records fan yeah i believe i could be wrong i believe this was brian's introduction to ska twitter yeah i think so <laughs> That's what it seemed like now he's engaging with people on it all the time. Yeah. I don't recall him tweeting about ska or anything before that. So nope. We so I I guess what we're saying is that you, the abruptors, brought Brian Fallon to Ska Twitter. <laughs> well, we'll take that. <laughs> you can put that on your gravestone. There yeah. You we were just happy that he actually responded. You know, that was uh that was all Mike though. Mike was like, I'm gonna get him to say something. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> so i was like do you know him he goes no not really he goes but we'll, we'll get it to work and uh and we heard him on your show yeah. you know and you were asking him about it and it was just nice to hear again that he really liked it and this is awesome yeah definitely and we're gonna see him next week oh yeah oh, you're gonna see him like live in concert you're having coffee with him no <laughs> well maybe we'll have coffee if he, if he this uh brian we'd love to have coffee with you but no we're going to the show and uh our buddy Rick Johnson is going to be there with Jeff Rosenstock and we're all going to hang out. So wow. that'll be fun. So you're friends with um, Greg Soden, right? The, yeah. He has, he has the pop propaganda um, unscripted moments podcast. Yeah. It was the weirdest, weirdest thing. Tell us a little bit. Cause Greg's a friend of us. He's a friend of the show. He's a friend of yours. I'm just curious your connection to him and how you guys met. So Greg moved to uh, Buffalo. God, maybe I, you know, I don't want to misspeak, but I think it was like four or five years ago. And um, during the lockdown, it was like right, right at the end, everybody's starting to come back around, see each other. But we were still kind of wearing masks and staying away. And on Twitter, he just responded to something that I responded to from uh, Asian Man Records. I forgot how exactly how it went, but he just said, oh, hey, he's like, I'm in Buffalo, too. And, you know, I'm not real social. I'm real bad at Twitter. So I was just like, OK, cool. Then he just keeps going because that's how Greg is. He's very personable, talkative, you know. And he's just like, I live on this street. Where do you live? And I'm like, I, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm close by. He's like, oh, awesome. He's just like, yeah, he's like, um, I'm actually right in that area. I was like, okay, cool. He starts private messaging me. And he's just giving me his address and asking if he can come over to the house. I was like, who the hell is this guy? And, um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 we hadn't sold anything in a long time. So he was like, I want to come over and buy your stuff. Can I do that? I was like, oh, okay, sure. So he came over. We had a lovely conversation, had a lot in common. And from then on, we just kind of became friends. And um, God, I think it was maybe a couple months after that, he asked, he was missing live music so bad. He's like, can I sit down on a practice? He's like, I'll just sit down and just watch you guys. And uh, he did. We had a great time. Um, and then he ended up moving literally down the street from me, wow. which was even weirder. So 
Now he's a neighbor. Now he moved again, but <laughs> he just moved like two weeks ago. But uh, yeah, he's still in the area. So yeah, now he's a friend and he's just a really, really nice guy. You guys are based out of Buffalo, New York. Yep. Buffalo is what? Five, six hours away from New York City or? Six. Six, six to six and a half. Yeah. What's the, what's the Scott scene like in Buffalo right now? Oh, uh, well, there is a few bands as of now. Oh, yeah. I think the last time we did a podcast, I said, you're, you're talking to it. <laughs> For the uh, longest time, it was, it's, it's only us. You know, they pop up. And as you guys well know, ska bands are really hard to keep together. And um, so every time there is one that pops up, it falls apart pretty quickly. But there, there are two. There's, uh, I'll give a shout out to Skamagachi is one of them that just came around. Skamagachi. Skamagachi. <laughs> what, what type of ska are they? You couldn't tell by the name. Um, <laughs> it's it's definitely based in the uh, I would say the third third wave. Uh-huh. Um, but they're very tight, a lot of fun. Um, then there is the working class stiffs who are totally very Scott Punk Suicide Machines feel, extremely tight, awesome awesome guys. But that's it. <laughs> you guys get the opening slot to bands that come through town frequently, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's because people like us or if we just were the only ones around. <laughs> well, there's Kamagachi now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think the slackers still might want the abrupters and, and Skamagachi, yeah. but maybe Skamagachi would open. Yes, yeah, so Skamagachi <laughs> open, abrupters main support, and slackers headlining. This is the Buffalo of the future. <laughs> Did you play, you, you opened for Sublime with Rome last night? How was that? I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought, um, you know, the crowd was a lot of fun um, and, you know, people were dancing and, and into it. So it was probably the largest crowd we've played for in a little bit, just because, you know, post COVID, it's been really hard to get a, get a big crowd together. So it's just really nice to be able to play a big stage and look out and see just like hundreds of people having a good time. Um, yeah. I don't know. I really enjoyed the evening and I, I had tons of fun doing it. What size rooms do, does Sublime with Rome play? Like, where? how big was the venue? So they played at a venue called the Outer Harbor, which is actually just like a massive outdoor um, space. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it could fit. I don't know, Mike, how many? I, I don't know how many would fit in there. Oh, thousands. Yeah, thousands, thousands. It was massive. And it was pretty full? No, not when we played. we had a good couple hundred there were there were you know there was yeah there's a good couple hundred there yeah but a couple hundred in a space that holds thousands can (laughs) can feel defeating i mean well and she she's telling the nice sides of stuff and you know for me it was like there's just a bunch of dude bros showing up yelling sexual comments at the girls that was just like Uh, i'm gonna fucking shoot myself (laughs) was uh not you know not not the the scene that we like to be associated with but you, you struggled through and made it made it work. Yeah, I mean she's right. It was it was so cold though. Oh my god, it was we were freezing. Yeah, the wind was whipping around. You guys got to wear those parkas. <laughs> the like cool Scott Punk parkas. You got to wear that or Scott not Scott Punk mod parkas. Mod. Excuse me. <laughs> what are some other bands that have come through that you've opened for? Oh, I mean uh, everybody from Slackers, Mustard Plug, Toasters. All the classics that you know come through. Hub City Stompers was just here for the first time. Mm. We opened for Big D and the Kids Table right before the pandemic. 
Um, last night we opened for Modern English, which is for those for people. Not a ska band. Yeah, not a ska band, but. Hey, anything's a ska band if you scan cars now. <laughs> you know what, though? The guitar player actually played with the Toasters for a while after they originally broke up. So there you go. There you go. There's the ska connection. <laughs> So we're recording this in late September. Um, originally, you were you, your album was going to um, release. Actually, you said originally it was going to be in s- summer, and then it was going to be October. Yep. So I'm not sure when we'll release this. We'll probably release this in, in, to tie into when your album's actually uh, available for pre-order. But tell me a little bit about just a little little behind the scenes, just so people, maybe people who don't realize how bad it is with vinyl these days. Yeah, let people know about these supply chain issues. As of now, as September 25th, you have no idea when your album's coming out, correct? Absolutely none. And Mike Park has pulled our album from the pressing plant to put it into a different one because we were probably not going to get it until sometime next year. Wow. We were originally told it could take up to eight months. Right. That was a long time. And then I think we're probably past the eight months. Right, Tony? Are we past it? I, we've got to be because we recorded this last June. Yeah. Or July. I don't know. Sometime last summer we recorded it. And then. So you recorded in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And all the masters were done pretty quickly. Like Rick had a really quick turnaround on those and it was pretty much done by the end of the year. So. Yep. I, yeah. So it's it's definitely been in the plant for quite a long time now. So you sent Mike sent it to the plant and the plant said maybe summer and then. That got so the same plant was like, okay, it's going to be October now. Yep. And then it was like, hey, guys, we really just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Mike doesn't even get an answer from him sometimes. We haven't even gotten a test pressing. We got nothing. So he just decided, you know what? I'm going to put it somewhere else. We're going to pull it. And uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. So hopefully, this new place will be able to do it. I don't know maybe somewhat quicker, you know, I don't know. Wow. You know, that's, yeah, it was from what I understand of uh, vinyl, the supply issues with vinyl were already getting bad before COVID just because yes. of the demand, but then COVID made it worse. And we obviously, as your story illustrates, we haven't like really in this particular industry, we haven't really recovered for those like long, long, long waits. Right. Yeah. I mean, nine months right now is standard. Right. Yeah, we seem to have a really bad history with like releasing albums. Our first album was released, and then four to five months when we were planning on promoting it, the lockdown happened. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't get to promote that one. And this one, we keep telling people we have another album, and now people just don't believe us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you've already started the promotion process. You're you're, you're releasing videos. It's sort of like new album coming, but... You, you, you we be- don't know when you begin that process with the intention of there being a, a release date on the horizon that you know of. Yeah. And that's, you know, we had Chris Grau, who everybody knows is like the ska king for videos. Mm-hmm. And he does his own music, which he told me was just released in Clerks 3, which is awesome. I'm so proud of him. Yeah. Um, but he came here to do videos for us. We had a blast. And, uh, you know, we thought, heck, we'll just start like slowly releasing these videos. And now we're already past two of them we only have one more left and we're like oh we don't know what to do you know we're glad people have been liking the music that's always super awesome um i think they've been liking it better than the last album so yeah the new album's great thank you did mike send it to you i asked him for like days ago and then i got a text saying that he didn't upload it yet 
And then, oh my, and he's like, <laughs> we're going, we're going even further behind the curtain here. And so then he finally like texted it to me like yesterday evening. Yeah. I texted him yesterday. I'm like, Hey, like you're going to send that album. <laughs> so no, it's a great album. Uh, noticeably cheerless. That's the one. Can you tell us a little bit of why you're calling the album noticeably cheerless? Yeah. So, um, Mike and I, for a really long time, we were, you know, every Saturday making pizza and hanging out, watching different shows. And one of the shows we were on was uh, Schitt's Creek. And there's a scene in the show where Moira walks into the little shop that David owns and she just goes, it's noticeably cheerless in here. And at that moment, Mike and I literally looked at each other. We were like, album name. <laughs> <laughs> and so we just pulled it from a quote from Schitt's Creek. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like it, it fits us pretty well. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you couldn't tell by the first single, you know, best wish with warmest regards. So. Well, I was going to say, like, the whole record seems like it's serious. I mean, the, mu- the music is upbeat but the lyrics not maybe not so much yeah i mean i think that's us that's always been us you know we are the uh opposite of i guess what a lot of people associate with ska mm-hmm. which is just happiness <laughs> and good times and we're like you know captain bring down and uh you know we got good <laughs> vibes but we're gonna make you fucking miserable while you listen to us <laughs> so i want to get a little bit into your history yeah that's always fun <laughs> <laughs> i know initially there was a band called b-side bastards oh wow i didn't know you'd figure that out <laughs> oh. <laughs> i read that you um saw deals gone bad live mm-hmm. and watching the singer kind of gave you a different perspective on the kind of sky you'd like to play absolutely 100 percent. tell us a little bit about that experience oh man that was it's almost like a religious experience I went in there with my mindset that this was going to suck. Like I, I was, you know, I was a lot younger and definitely was judging a book by its cover, which even now I look back on that and I'm like, what the hell was wrong with me? But, uh, you know, we learn and we grow. Um, but yeah, he had like this flannel shirt on. He had like the curly mustache. I don't know. He looked like Shmi from uh, Hook, you know, and I just, <laughs> I don't know. In my eyes, I was just like, this guy's going to play ska. I'm like, okay, Sure. But holy crap, when he opened up his mouth, I lost my mind. Like, I was like, this is insane. I could not believe how good they were. Just, it was everything I ever wanted to do. And I just didn't know it could be done that well. And so I bought the album, uh, listened to it religiously. And I tried to incorporate a lot of that into my previous band, which was just full of party punk rockers. And, uh, it was not going well. Um, I was huge <laughs> my whole life, like in the fifties, you know, whether it was doo-wop, soul, rockabilly style music. And I loved to sing, but we had a certain member who was, uh, quote unquote, very punk rock. So I wasn't allowed to sing. I had to scream. If I wasn't screaming, it wasn't punk enough. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I, I was, I brought a song to him called Don't Worry, which was our first Abruptors song. And he was like, nope, not playing that crap. I was like, all right. So I decided, I'm like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm like, I'm going to quit this band and I'm going to start a new one. And I mean, that was the the birth of the Abruptors. So was the B-Sign Bastards a band you joined then? Nope. was when I started. But back then, uh, I was very democratic. I wanted people to have a say, which... 
after reading interview after interview of things Mike has talked about with like skanking pickle, I realized like what an awful idea that is, at least for someone like me, someone like Mike, where you always kind of have to be in control of stuff. Otherwise you get funk songs, you know? <laughs> yeah. Did you, did, did you have funk songs? No, but we had like punk songs that were not what I wanted to do. Um, I love punk rock. I do always have, but it's not what I was going for. I started a ska band to play ska music. Um, and you know, those two can intertwine wonderfully. I had a ska punk band at one time too. What was it called? 737. Is 737 not a thing anymore? It is. And it isn't like our bass player who was the original abruptors bass player, um, had a baby. We did release an ME330 cover for that same comp. And uh, Andy has just got a lot going on in his life. But we have the understanding that whenever we want to play together again, we can do it. It's always there. Got it. Yeah. But um, yeah, as far as B-Side went, um, I, I wanted to start another band. And I guess, terrible as it sounds, I just told everybody when I started it, I'm like, this is like, I have the final say of what we're going to do. I was sick of arguing with people. I was sick of like agreeing to stupid things that I didn't like. That was that was how it started, I guess. Tony, were you into the B side bastards? No. <laughs> oh, you sound so disappointed. <laughs> well, so I was in a ska band at the same time. Rival that, ska. Um, yeah, we were a rival ska band, but we hated each other. No, we didn't hate each other. I, to be quite honest, I'm always a little bit like I'm very introverted, so I'm very much the person that like show up, play the show and then like go hide somewhere. So I don't really pay a lot of attention to my surroundings or anything. And so Mike and I had been in, you know, the same room plenty of times before we played in the abruptors together. And I felt really bad because I honestly was like, Oh, how many times did we play together? Like, just because it's, that's just who I am. Like, I, I don't know. I, I always find a good place to sit far away from lots of people. So <laughs> well, what was your band called? Uh, we were lightning killed my parents. <laughs> lightning killed my parents. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, were, we were we were definitely like more like party rock ska. <laughs> yes, they so, were. Yeah, definitely not Mike's cup of tea. So we were not. <laughs> what was your role in the band? So Mike and I are very similar in the way where we like to be the ones making decisions. Um, so when, when I was in lightning kill my parents, I played saxophone, but did a lot of songwriting and like helped a lot with like merch decisions and stuff like that too. Did you start the band then, or did you join somebody else's band that was already started? This was a college band that we had all like, oh, okay. you know, we, we wanted to start a ska band and we were, you know, just thrown around song name or band names and stuff like that and decide that's what it was going to be but you were there in the beginning yeah yeah you brought up merch yes <laughs> did lightning kill my parents have good shirts we we had uh one of our shirts was a dinosaur with a lightning bolt okay. so we had a lot of like weird you know i don't know definitely not things you're going to see the abruptors release <laughs> but but probably a lot of lightning themed Art. Yeah, there was another one with like a, a skeleton being electrocuted, and <laughs> Love it. feels like you could go, you can lean heavily into the dead parent visual too. Sure, yeah, yeah. I once had a lightning killed my parents sticker on the back of my car, and um, and there was like a random man in the parking lot who was very concerned that that was an experience I had in my life. Um, and he was like, he was like, "Is that real for you? Is that is that real?" And I was like. 
no, that's that's just the name of my band. And and then he was even more upset with me because he couldn't understand why that was the name of my band. I, it was a very odd interaction. Um, but but yeah, it's definitely a, a unique band name. <laughs> yeah, that would be a weird way to process your parents' death is to just make a proclamation and put it on your car and drive around. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely thought it was a weird interaction. I quickly got in my car and tried to drive away. As fast <laughs> as possible. I mean, I think enough time has passed and, and uh, you know, I could actually see an abrupter shirt with, with a, uh, you know, parents being electrocuted. <laughs> oh my Lord. And it looking cool. I don't know. We'll have to do the mock-up. How do you feel about that, Mike? Not great. <laughs> I think, I mean, I'm seeing something that, that I think would be really good. <laughs> well, you design it. You can send it to us. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'll send it to you. Tony, what was your, what was your, when you were in college, what was your interest in ska? What kind of bands were you interested in? And and what was your idea of like what it would be like to be in a ska band? Yeah. So I'm going to be really honest. Like my introduction to ska was super stereotypical. Um, you know, I think the first uh, ska band I saw live was Big D and the Kids Table. And I think they were doing like university tour or something like that. Um, and they played in in like the cafeteria of the Fredonia, you know, SUNY Fredonia establishment there. Um I played saxophone and I, I just knew I wanted to play in a band and I was just happy to play in a band. Um, but it was a lot of fun, you know, when, when you're in college, you just want to like go out and play shows and, and have fun and everybody's, you know, partying and stuff like that. So that's, that's really what that band was. And, and we did a few tours, like a few, you know, 30 days at a time. I think we went out like three or four times. Wow. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we released like one album, but it, it was just fun. And that's, that's really all I expected from it. You know, do you have a show that you can imagine that was your, the most fun uh, lightning killed my parents show you've ever experienced? Hmm. Honestly, the one that I think stands out to me the most was really just a house show. Sure. Um, yeah. It was just like packed with people who were all just there to have a, have a good time. Um and, you know, everyone's dancing so hard that you're afraid the floor is going to collapse. So <laughs> I, I that's that's one that stands out to me is like one of the most memorable. Um, you know, we had our fair share of like, uh, I think at one point we opened for Big D and stuff like that, too. But um, I don't know. They were all just fun. We used to play North Carolina a lot. Uh, you're always more popular when you're not in your hometown. So we used to get show offers uh in north carolina and we just drive out for the weekend and those shows were a lot of fun too so well, let's take a step back so in b-side bastards you were were you more into ska punk at that point no i you know i've always been into all things ska okay um yeah i've, I've loved everything so i i think um it was a weird transition though because like in buffalo like i've said we do not have we never have had a really great ska scene it's not been strong um so I've tried to start a ska band like a hundred times and it always fell through. So when I did B-Side Bastards, I was able to like pull some of my punk friends into it. And maybe I was lying a little bit when I told them we'd play something like ska and punk, but I was lying. And I kept trying to like push it into the just like straight up ska direction. Like when we started, I had a distortion pedal and I slowly like stopped bringing it to practice. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people were like, "Hey, where's your distortion pedal?" I'm like, "Oh, I don't know. I forgot it." And they're like, "This is your house. You live here." You know. Um, so 
I, uh, you know, I just kind of like pushed everybody in that direction. Um, but it's, it, it is kind of weird too, because when I started the Scott punk band, it was after that. And I think it was more not to play punk music. It was because I was so like mad at the horn players at the time. They were driving me insane. And I was just like, well, to hell with this, I'm going to start a three piece punk band. And I'm like, now nah, shit, you can't really do that without, um, or a ska band. You can't really do that without some punk in there. Cause with no horns, you need something to really balance out, you know, something. Cause if it's just clean all the time with guitar, it's just empty. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I was going through some stuff, I guess. <laughs> so when you started the abruptors, so did you piece together the band from different members of these different bands? Kind of. It was, it was weird. I, I decided, like, I talked to the drummer who had, he hated drums in B-side. He hated it. He played drums because we couldn't find a drummer. That was it. Um, and he's like, I want to play keys. He's like, I want to play keys. I am done with the drums. And I was like, fine, you play keys, but we're leaving this band. You and me, we're gone. And he said, okay, sure. He goes on one condition. He goes, we got to take one of the horn players with us. And I was like, motherfucker. Um, I was trying so hard not to take any of them with us. I was going to do, like, originally, the Proctors was going to be like a Chinkies type style, right? Like, heavy on the yeah. keyboards. It was going to be guitar, bass, and drums. And that was fucking it. Because I was just so over seven people in this damn band. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. So he goes, you got to take one of them with us. And I was like, oh, fine. So I picked one of the guys, which ended up being the worst decision of my life. <laughs> which I don't know how much Mike, Mike Parker's talked to you about that. We can get into that later if you want. You've talked to me about it. Okay. Well, yeah, I know I talked to you about it, Adam. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to, we, we all need to hear about it. So, Oh, well then we'll talk about that. Let's go. You want to do it now? Give us the lowdown of the band coming together. Then let's hear about this horn player. So it was just us three from B side bastards. And I had been playing in seven thirty seven at the time. And I said to the guys, Andy and Alex, um, hey, would you do me a favor and just play bass and drums on this EP I'm doing? I said, I just, you know, want to get it out of the way to prove to myself that I can definitely play, you know, what I had always dreamed of playing, but I need your help. And they said, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So I sent like one song. So we got two members of 737, three members of B-Side Bastards. That was the Abruptors. Um, and then I found a random girl on Craigslist to do backup vocals. <laughs> And so I sent a song to Mike Park after sending him probably like a hundred songs and him just saying, Hey, great job, you know, and then ignoring me. Um, and it, finally I got an email back. He was just like, Hey, this is great. He's like, let's put it out a seven inch, you know? And at that point I'm like, Oh my God, wasn't really anticipating that. So I had to go back to Andy and Alex and say, hey, I know I said that you guys just had to record a few songs, but would you be interested in joining this band? That wasn't really supposed to be a band. Um, and they said, sure. You know, they're easygoing, awesome people. Um, and that's that's really how the band started. But it, it did not stay that way because same kind of problems started to arise and more problems. So, <laughs> yeah. So well, I asked Greg. A little bit about like, hey, is there any any good um, anything I should ask the eruptors when I interview them? He, uh, this is what he wrote. He said, "Tell them, hey, I noticed your early lineup had a huge horn section. <laughs> then you pulled back and you didn't have a bassist. Wait, 
Now you didn't have any and you had a different bassist and now you're up to a bigger lineup. Tell me about the fluctuation of the band. He's like, he's like, he's like, ask that and then just sit back and listen. Okay. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So the first lineup was, was what I just told you. Um, the horn section was kind of weird. Cause I told you I pulled one horn guy from beside bastards, but this guy decided that uh, he wasn't going to play our first shows. So he bails. <laughs> now I got to go and grab. Now this is, this is the guy that I'll be telling you a bigger story about later, which is just insanity. But I pull another B-side bastards horn player to fill in because at the time we're still playing like half B-side songs, right? Cause we didn't have enough for a set. So I got to pull another B-side horn player. So long story short, we end up with two horns from B-sides, the guys I'm trying to get away from. Um, and so, you know, we carry on like that for a little bit. Uh, eventually I just kind of lose my patience again. And I, you know, I was trying to like assert what I had said in the beginning that like I get final decision and it just, I don't know. I'm still trying to be fair, but at that point I lost my patience about a year, year and a half in, I said to the one horn player, I said, okay, that's it. I said, you got to go. I said, you are an awesome person, really nice guy, but I cannot take you playing. You're just noodling like crazy. He wasted like two hours of recording time. He says to me, I was like, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I'm making up the uh, horn solo. I said, we're recording. Why did not have that? And he goes, well, I just thought I'd do it now. And I literally, uh, Andy, our bassist at the time goes, Mike, he goes, take a walk. Just take a walk. Cause he could see me like losing my patience. And, uh, after that I said, okay, you gotta go. He missed the flight to California. There's a really good picture of Mike in that recording studio look, looking like he's about to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't in the band at the time, but I've been privy to the photo. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I was just so mad. And he had missed his flight to California when we played the Asian man. Uh, I don't know if it was the 20th that he missed or it was the one before that. But whatever. He missed his flight. You know, I mean, he was that kind of guy. Nice guy. But for the life, you cannot count on him for anything. It was awful. So we decided we're going to carry on with one horn player. And we did that for a little bit. And Andy, our bass player and I started to butt heads a little bit. He was very much like, um, he liked to do his home life. He liked to do the office life and then whatever was left was cool for the band. But at that time we're getting a lot of shows. So we're just button heads. I want to play shows. He doesn't want to play shows. He decides to leave me and him have stayed cordial, you know, no big deal. Uh, he was a great bass player. He still is a great bass player. But I think just what we wanted out of the band was different. Yeah, I think like having everybody being on the same page for what you want out of the band is like one of the most important things about making a band work. Oh, it totally is. And, you know, but so many, so many times people's feelings get caught in that. So like, so, you know, it's kind of like a relationship. If you break up with somebody, it doesn't always mean you hate them. Sometimes it's just not right for the both of you. Yeah. And that's kind of how it is for the band. Like, I don't hate you. I hope you don't hate me. And you're an amazing player, but maybe we both want something different out of this. But sadly, the other five of us actually want to go and play the show, and you do not. So we ended up parting ways with him, and we had to find, um, another bass player real fast. So we had like a temp guy for a while that didn't work out. Uh, and then we found our second bass player and we found Tony as well, who was playing saxophone. 
And I didn't really want her in the band, to be honest. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> she knows this. And it's not her. It I, was, I know this very well. Yeah. It's just like horns. You know, I had such, I love horns. Love them. I hate the people behind them, apparently. So. <laughs> <laughs> But luckily, uh, Alex, the drummer, knew me from college, and yeah. he was like, "Hey, we got you. Got a letter. You got a letter play." Um, so that's actually how I ended up being in the band. <laughs> so, and then yeah. you know, we're playing for a while, and I see this video of Tony online, and she's singing, and I, I see her practice. I'm like, "You didn't tell me you could sing." Well, what is this video? Uh, it was her in a cover band, I believe. Right, Tony? Or was it the one where you took the microphone from that other guy? I don't. <laughs> no no it's it's i think it was one at practice that i had shared because oh, like okay. i it was when i had just um decided to try to start singing with a band so it was like my first attempt ever actually behind a microphone uh so i was really self-conscious about it at the time and mike was like hey i didn't know you could sing i was like i didn't know i could either <laughs> so you know at that time a lot of time i'm, I'm always always been into hepcat i love absolutely love the fact that they have three singers I thought that, and they're just, their voices are magical. So I thought to myself, like, we could have three singers. You know, Tony plays sax, but she could kind of be like Destin Barry on the keys where he only sings a few songs. You know, he does a lot of harmonies. And so that's how we, we did maybe three years of that, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did about three years of that. And it was getting like, just, we were getting a lot of steam. A lot of people were loving us, loved the harmonies. Um, but I'd say maybe about two and a half years in, it started to fall apart again. And it was due to jealousy, <laughs> a couple of factors there. I don't know if you guys want to get into this now, but this is where we can start. Let's go get into it. <laughs> so we, we lost three members at, at the beginning of COVID and we had decided to let them go due to various reasons. One, the other singer was getting very jealous of Tony singing. She didn't like that. Um, and, you know, you try to say, well, it's cool. You know, like she's not taking songs away from you. I don't sing when she sings either. Like, it's not a big deal. And she says, well, I stand there. I don't play anything. And you're like, well, you could if you wanted. Like, nobody's telling you not to. You just chose not to learn an instrument. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, you know, it's like... I, it was like, let's blame the world instead of try to fix this. I told her, I said, if you want to grab a guitar, I can teach you how to play ska. It's not, not hard, but she didn't want to learn. Um, so she started singing over us to the point where you know, there's videos on YouTube. You guys go ahead and check them out um, where she's literally screeching like on top of us. We're trying to yell so that she's noticed. <laughs> and it was like, you know, we had a couple conversations. We we're like, hey, you know, can you just dial it back? You're kind of like singing out of tune. No, I'm not. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, it's not, I'm not arguing. I'm like, I'm just trying to let you know, you know, it's trying to constructive criticism, but the answer was always, no, I'm not. And so that was the reason we let her go. We were like, we, I can't do this anymore. And Tony and I were working together on weekends and we invited her. She didn't want to come. We were working on our voices and writing songs together. And we were just, we were meshing like really well together at that point. But then you got like screaming McGee on top of you. And it was just <laughs> making a sound really bad. A sound like lightning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it became hard too, though, because like as Mike and I are writing songs, you know, you, you, 
you're forming the song and you have an idea of like, oh, what parts I can sing and what parts Mike can sing and how the harmonies are going to work together and who's going to take which line. And, you know, we would get really excited because we write this song that we were just like super pumped about. We love the lyrics because all of our lyrics are personal to us. So, um, but then we, we felt like we had to find a place for the other singer and it just made it really difficult. Um, like we almost felt like we were like forcing it and trying to like fit her into spots where that we didn't really need another spot. You know what I mean? Just for the sake of like yeah. finding something for her to do, I guess. Yeah. Um, where it was, it was easier with the songs on the first album. Cause these weren't things that I had helped write. I, I kind of showed up late and like rewrote some of the horn lines and stuff like that. But you know, I didn't have a, a big influence on the lyrics or anything like that. Well, you did write a song. I'm- if Aaron had been in your band at the time, he could have showed her how to juggle. <laughs> <laughs> she could have done that. Well, Tony knows how to juggle as well. So, oh yes, I've seen I've seen that. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about your juggling history, and I'll tell you about my juggling history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, my dad taught me how to juggle. <laughs> That's it. Okay. I had, I, had, I had a book that was like you put the ball in the palm of your hand. What you don't know is her dad was actually a circus clown. <laughs> no. No, but well, but I don't, I don't know. My dad, my dad's got a lot of hobbies. He learns a lot of different things. And I think at one point he built me a pair of stilts and we're just like walking around in the driveway of our house (laughs) on a pair of stilts. So, um, he, he's got a lot of different interests, but because of that, I also learned a lot of unique things. (laughs) I, I got obsessed with juggling, juggling when I was in junior high, me and my friend. And for like a year or two, that was like all we did. So, and I, we did a talent show performance in junior high where we did a whole juggling routine. And it was really, it was funny in retrospect because all the other acts were like uh, karaoke or, you know, like little skits. Like there weren't like, there weren't stuff that people had an actual talent that they came and did, you know, but we did an actual like juggling routine. And um, I, I, you know, I I moved on from juggling, but uh, (laughs) I I have muscle memory. I could still juggle three balls. I can do four balls okay. I can do five balls for like 10 to 15 seconds, maybe. And I can do three clubs. Wow. Oh, yeah. You definitely have uh, a higher caliber of juggling talent than I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still on the three ball circuit. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though. You know, people talk about muscle memory, like, like, like riding a bike and stuff, but it's weird to be like, oh, I'm just grab these balls and juggle them. And like you're, your, your, your body just does it. It's so strange. Like you haven't done it for years and your body's like, oh, I, I know <laughs> it's how to so do that. It's so true though. Cause I think the first time, like when we were recording our music video, there's a little scene where TJ and I are both juggling and I did it very poorly and Chris made it look like I knew what I was doing. Um, <laughs> but it's true though. Like I hadn't juggled for maybe like, I don't know, like eight years. And I was like, Oh, I, I'll do this. I could give it a shot. And I juggled long enough for it to matter. And that's all that counts. <laughs> <laughs> So, so Mike Park is part of your story pretty early on that I didn't realize that. Yeah. He's been really like, he's been the guy like I go to when I have questions. Um, you know, even, even when I was like, I called him up and I'm like, Mike, I'm like, I want to kick these three people out of the band. I'm like, is that bad? <laughs> is that going to like, <laughs> is that going to fuck my band up? And he's just like, well, what's going on? And I told him and he goes, nah, get rid of them. He goes, they're gone. You know, he's like, don't, don't let them drag you down. He's like, just get rid of them. But yeah, he, it was only a couple months into our, into our history that he was just like, yeah, let's do a seven inch. Cool. It's particularly interesting too, because there's not a whole lot of ska that's been on Asian man for the last decade. 
no, I was very surprised. I was just like, I think I, I actually have the email where I wrote back. I said, holy shit. Are you serious? Cause I didn't, really <laughs> him. I don't know if he was just finally trying to like get me to leave him alone. Um, but yeah, I was, I was absolutely in shock and I'd been an Asian man fan since I was 11. So very long time. Um, and I did not remember any ska band on there for the past 15 years. That wasn't him. Yeah. Or at least like a band that that was already there. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah. slow Gherkin's got like a collection of B sides. So he'll release that. Exactly. But like no new bands. And I'm like, why me? I think I've said that to him in the past too. I was like, why? <laughs> I was like, why us? Did he ever tell you why? Um, because you're nice people. That's the answer I got. <laughs> <laughs> you're the only nice people out there. That's what he tells me. I don't know. It's all it takes, folks. Just be nice people. Just be- I was like, wow, there's a lot of assholes out there, I guess. I, I read another one said that uh, you, uh, Mike came to town. Uh, he, was on, he was on tour with Alkaline Trio. Oh, yeah. And then he had dinner with your, at your mom's house. That was the second time. This is the first time you met him, right? No, no. First time I met him was 2014, year before Abruptors started. Oh, okay. So it's kind of a funny story. Um, <laughs> oh, she's laughing. So I love this story. I have a really good relationship with uh, one of their, the companies that does like a lot of the big shows. They do anything from Ska to Gaslight Anthem next, next week. And they've been really good to us in any band I've ever played in. But they'll they'll ask me, they'll go, Mike, you know, I got this band coming. Like, do you want to get in for free and just watch the show? And so this time, his name is Dennis. Awesome dude. Still works with the company. And he'll be like, Mike, uh, Streetlight Manifesto is coming next week. Uh, you want to go watch them? I, unfortunately, am not a big Streetlight fan. I don't really like them. I don't get them. I don't understand it. Um, that's just me. So I was like, nope, no, thank you. And that was the end of it but I see this post that says Mike Park and Dan Pothey start opening. So immediately I was like, you stupid idiot, go to this, go to the show. So I called Dennis back up and I was like, Oh shit. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely, definitely go. So I did. I went last minute and I, and I saw Mike Park there and I was the worst possible version of me that I could have been that day. (laughs) Um, I feel horrible and I hope Dan doesn't remember this, but I'll remind (laughs) him right now. Yeah. Please refresh his memory. I actually asked Dan to like, take the photo of me and Mike. (laughs) And I was like, you stupid ass. I was with my ex-wife at the time. So I was like, you could have just asked her to take the photo of the two. Oh my God. I feel like such a jerk. And I was just, I think Mike was just like, give me the one word answers. He's like, Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Great. And then I had him hold up a CD of B-Side <laughs> Bastards. This is the it's, he's actually that's the photo I have for him on my phone now. Just to remind myself of what an asshole I am. Um, <laughs> and he's like giving the thumbs up. And I think he told me he threw that in the trash later. Um, <laughs> so that was like my first interaction with Mike Park. Um, he comes back maybe six months later to do his weddings. Somehow somebody in Buffalo hired him to do a wedding, came back. He's with hero, you know, hero does the photo. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, Oh my God, I forgot his other friend's name. Um, but he's with two people and he posts on Facebook. Do I know anybody in Buffalo? And immediately 
you know, like a shark in a school of fish. I'm just there. I'm in there and I'm like, yes, Mike, you know me. Do you remember me? I was that weird guy at the streetlight show. And he's like, yes, I do remember you. So that probably wasn't great. As Mike Park is, he just like randomly gives me his phone number. I don't know why he does that to this day. Um, I'm like, I could murder you. Do you know this? Like, you don't know this apparently. So I called him up and I'm just like, hey, I just actually bought this Chinkies poster. Would you sign it for me? He's like, yeah, sure. I'm staying at this hotel. We hang out. Um, and he just like says to me, um, I, you know, I'm the one doing all Dan Pothe's, uh living room tours. I was like, oh, I said, yeah, I was thinking about having him in my house, except for I don't like people and I don't want them in my home. So he somehow convinced me to do it anyway, because Dan needed a place coming from Canada to play, which, you know, living where we live, it's like 10 minutes from Canada. And, um, so we kind of stayed in contact through all that and periodically I would send him music and he didn't like it. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, sorry. That day, uh, when we were talking about Dan Pates, he texts me and he just goes, Hey, where can I eat in Buffalo? So I named some like Buffalo staples. I was like, I don't know, there's Ted's there's, um, I, you know, I, uh, I think a bunch of wing places I named chicken wing places. And then I, as a joke, I said, or you can just come to my mom's house. And he goes, cool. What's the address? <laughs> and so him and Hero and the other gentleman that was with him come to my mom's house for this big, like family dinner. And Hero, who weighs about 90 pounds, probably ate like 25 pounds of food. Like <laughs> he was just like, just stacking it away. And, uh, you know, it was a good time. Um, Can you remember what your mom served? Oh yeah, it was chicken and steak, and uh, chicken and steak. Wait, chicken, hold on. Yeah, chicken and steak and steak. <laughs> All right, I like how your mom gets down. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and just amazingly, she made too much, which is something she usually doesn't do. <laughs> so it was meant to be. But then I think Mike and I just kind of kept in contact. You know, before we got signed to Asian Man, just just him telling me that he's not going to do anything with my music. Wait, how did you present this to your mom? By the way, where you're like, "Hey, there's some there's some musicians in town that they really want to eat." So she knew Mike Park. She knew how much I loved Asian Man Records. Uh-huh. So she understood like this is important. There's also kind of a funny story behind that. Like when I was a kid, uh, I bought Lesson Jake's um, Pescor, and uh, the mm-hmm. insert inside of it was an Asian Man Records insert and uh i was like yo i want to order from the site like i want to listen jake shirt and i saw link 80 at the time like just the you know nick jumping i was like i don't know what that is but it looks freaking awesome i like i want that too and she's like i am not going to give this random guy my credit card number like you know this is like my god i don't know what year this was it was 90 something and i convinced her to do it but back then like shipping was so long so she was convinced that mike park had stolen her credit card number and that she was never, like, she was going to lose a lot of money. I was never getting this stuff. And so, you know, fast forward, you know, then she, he was now eating at her house. I was like, see, he's real. <laughs> I did end up getting the link 80 CD and the lesson Jake t-shirt like 10 to 12 weeks later. Damn. That is a long, that is a long wait. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really long time. 
But yeah, so the Alkaline Trio thing happened when we were already signed. That was uh, 2017. We've been signed since 2015. Gotcha. Okay. So that those, these were separate occasions, the Alkaline Trio and the, and the mom barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. I just texted Mike and I was like, I know you're coming through with Alkaline. I said, I saw you need help at the merch booth. I was like, you want me to do it? And he was like, yeah. He's like, absolutely. I said, do you guys need a place to stay? And he said, yes, that would be wonderful. So again, he had dinner at my mom's house. Actually, his whole band did. Um, you know, Moore Weaver was there. Sim, um, he was there. I think you guys know him, right? Yeah, Sim Castro. Yeah, he was there. Um, it was awesome. You know, it was really fun. They stayed at my house. We watched, uh, I don't know if it was, I think it was Infinity War. We all like huddled around my TV. Uh, Mora myself and Mora's friend, I forgot her name, Megan. We all stayed up into the night singing Green Day songs uh, on an acoustic guitar. It was awesome. We had a really, really fun time. I want to ask a question that both of you feel free to jump in. I don't want to say you guys are quote unquote traditional ska, but let's distinguish between uh, a, a ska band that has punk elements versus a ska band that does not have punk elements. And you're in that category. Yeah. What has it been like the existence of the abruptors from what 2015 is when the band started, right? Yep. Did you feel like part of a larger scene, not part of a larger scene? Have you felt part of the the overall ska scene that includes punk oriented bands, or do you feel like part of just a specific scene? I'm curious both of your takes on that. Um, for me, I mean, we I started the band to be a two tone traditional band. That was my original vision. Uh, eventually I felt very pigeonholed, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. this, like the way you play guitar, I'm like, wow, that sounds just like the same fucking song I just wrote. Um, so eventually like when Tony joined the band, we decided we were going to just branch off and be a ska band. It was no longer about what wave it was. It's just going to be a ska band. Um, I don't think honestly, and Tony can correct me if she feels this is incorrect, but I still feel like we, we don't really fit anywhere. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like there's all these bands from bad time records that are awesome and they're collaborative and they're getting together. And while they've all treated us amazingly and we've made some awesome friends out of them, we still don't feel in this new ska scene all the time. Mm. We just don't. And it's probably because we don't sound like them. Um, while we don't sound traditional and we don't get roped in with them, we don't sound punk either. So we, we always seem to be left out of a lot of things that are happening, whether it be on Scott Twitter or Instagram or whatever it is. Yeah. I, th I think cause we're very like niche. Like I, I myself even kind of have a hard time describing how I would categorize us. Like we're just <laughs> the abruptors. Like I really no other way to like, you know, we bring influence from, just everywhere and things we like and like I don't know but I, I agree I think it's hard you know if we're playing with a more ska punk band they show up people show up and they're looking for something that moves a little faster than we do um or you know but we don't quite fit in with like the traditional crowd all the way so I, I agree with Mike I think we're 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 like kind of out in our own yeah realm yeah. and that makes it fun but also kind of hard at times because it's hard to like gain momentum i guess you know yeah i can see that yeah there's like um like the the bad time bands are having definitely having some momentum 
and there's diversity within that group, but it's not exactly what you're doing. But I, I don't see their I don't see the fans of those bands necessarily not being into what you're doing. Maybe not all of them, but it feels like a certain percentage of them would be totally down with what you what you guys are doing. Oh, and there is, you know, there's definitely times where people are just like, what new ska band should I check out? And you'd be like, Catbite, The Abruptors, and Bad Operation. Like, that's cool. It happens. But usually that guy just loves ska, ska in general. Mm -hmm. I run into people on a daily basis who, if you haven't heard of Operation Ivy and the Boston's, you have no idea what ska is. That's their only brand of ska. They can't listen to the slackers because it puts them to sleep. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're not looking at us. Yeah, and some of the and some of the newer bands that play ska punk or ska core, it's like even heavier than what ska punk sounded like twenty years ago. Yes, exactly, exactly. So th- it's almost like it kind of it's almost like yeah, the, the ska punk is getting heavier while the not punk oriented ska is, is kind of going a little bit in a different direction too. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, I've always just loved, like I said before, I like grew up on like really like the fifties music and stuff. So I, I want to keep that in our band, like with harmonies and actual like singing and, you know, so I don't think we're ever going to get to that point. We definitely with best wishes, that was probably our fastest song we've ever written a little more punk, I guess, but it's still not, still not that fast compared to what people are doing. Still clean too. Yeah, I've never, I refuse the distortion pedal. So <laughs> it's not for me. So, in, in terms of your look, like you have a nice look, but it's not necessarily straight up, like from the dictionary version of what ska bands look like, but you still have style. Does that more come from what you're just saying, like your, your interest in like 50s and stuff like that? I mean, for me, it is like I can't speak for everybody in the band, but you know, I play hollow body guitars. Um, I love Vox guitar amps. Do you have any conversations about what people are wearing? Because with a band of several members with no instruction or no conversation, it's not like everyone just shows up looking like they all fit together. Yeah, no, we definitely have conversations. In fact, one of our newest members, he just bought himself (laughs) uh, a polo shirt because he was looking like a dad going to golf for a while. (laughs) So he was like coming up in like a yellow, like, lacoste like polo and i'm like yeah no i was like no no (laughs) we're uh (laughs) you know uh i'm not strict on like the fred perry stuff especially with everything that's gone down lately with that yeah you know but i'm just like you know ben sherman penguin any of that kind of stuff is like it's got a good look it's got that like twin tip look that you know that's basically what we end for for the guys What, what yeah what about for tony what about you what is your reference point Um, so it's kind of interesting because the way I just kind of like started dressing for shows was just how I normally dress. Um, like I'll wear the same outfit to work and then show up at a show. (laughs) (laughs) And that actually happened when we played for sublime. Um, but it's really interesting because I, I guess I would just wasn't exposed to a lot in my life. I don't know. I wasn't aware of like mod style or anything like that. But then when we were, um, doing the music videos, uh, Chris Grau, you know, when he was doing like the styling and stuff, he's like, I really see you guys fitting into like the mod style. And I was pulling up a bunch of, um, just a, you know, a bunch of the reference material he sent us. And I was like, Oh, I already dressed like this. So, um, I I would say, you know, it's, it's probably more 
modern day mod, I guess, if you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I I I mean I love that style and in, in the skirts and the you know the boots and and all of that. So, but it, it's just funny because I showed up to Mike uh, up to Mike's house before the sublime show. And I was like, I just got to go change real quick. I, I just showed up what I wore to work. And he's like, I thought you were already dressed for the show. <laughs> so it's just how I dress normally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm a person with zero fashion sense. Um, but I appreciate a, a band that looks like a band that has some style to them that it, but it's also, it feels natural. Like this is, well, thank the, you. The, the people feel like this this is what we look like. This is what we dress like, but it's also some thought put into it. That was originally like what I had said when we started the band. Like, so we were going around and we were looking at all these bands. They come in ripped t-shirts and ripped jeans and they look like they just crawled out of the gutter. Yeah. And, and that's fine. But I said, you know what Buffalo doesn't have is people who put on a show. Like they're playing a show, but when was the last time you went to a show and a local band actually like dress nicely? And we couldn't name one band. So that's kind of what started it for us. Not that obviously bands haven't been doing that for years, but nobody in Buffalo was doing it. And our idea was to stick out. Like we wanted to be noticed. We wanted people to take us more seriously, especially with all the punk roots in the band at the time. Yeah. Like a lot of people didn't want to touch us. Our name was B-Side Bastards. Like when people (laughs) would hire us, they'd cross our name out. It was so counterproductive i can't even tell you <laughs> and and you spelled bastards wrong also on right? purpose it was like yeah it's supposed to be like the selector you know <laughs> nobody ever got it they just said oh what'd you do rip off Glorious bastards i was like i at the time i had not even seen the movie so i don't know <laughs> okay I, I don't know much about buffalo's music scene but i do know the bands that i'm aware of that came from buffalo um completely all over the map Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, have you ever seen any of them at shows? Let's let's go through the list of a few uh, well-known Buffalo musicians, and you tell me if you've ever seen them at a show skanking. Okay. <laughs> All right. Or both of you, please. Uh, Ani DeFranco. Nope. Ah, that's disappointing. <laughs> well, get ready for this answer a lot. Uh, Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> nope. Ah. Goo Goo Dolls. Nope. Ah. Seen them at a show, but wow, you've seen them at a show. Uh, yeah, Robbie, the bass player, he does a lot with like local music around here. Okay, have you seen him at a ska show? No, you know the 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 drummer follows me on Instagram. So which one? I don't know. Oh well, there was <laughs> there was a we were just having this conversation with a buddy of ours who's very close to them, <laughs> and they have like a bad history with drummers. Oh, okay, treating them very poorly. So all right, and the final one, Snapcase. No, dang. Do you actually go to shows? <laughs> we go to shows a lot, but nobody nobody comes to ska shows unless you like ska music. And that's not a lot of people in Buffalo. Sure. sure. Okay, wait. When you saw the bass player from Goo Goo Dolls, was he wearing shoes? Oh, man. That's a long time ago. I would have to say, yeah. Famously doesn't wear shoes. So I didn't see. I didn't even know that. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he was running the Music is Art Festival when we saw him. And he's mm. just all over the place. So. Let's just imagine he wasn't wearing shoes. Yeah, I think that fits. <laughs> just for the aesthetic. <laughs> Brian Diaz from Edna's Goldfish told me once in a conversation that a Snapcase likes ska. He gave me that that lowdown. Interesting. I can see that. Sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know any of them personally. Yeah, maybe we just don't know who they are. Like, I don't, I wouldn't be able to pick them out of a crowd. I know, I know who some of the guys are. I would notice them if I saw them at a show, but I just, you know, they're also older. And I feel like the mm-hmm. lot of older crowd does not come out unless they're playing. So. Mm, so you should play a show with Snapcase and see what they do. That would be cool. That would be, it would be a weird mix match, but. Uh... <laughs> oh, wait. So, okay. We talked about fashion. And we talked about a guy in your band that was problematic. No, we didn't. We talked about how we let the girl go. We never got back to the other two. Right. We're getting back to him now. Okay. (laughs) So I'm saving the best for last. Okay. So the the original keyboard player, we had to let him go because we found some very upsetting messages on our own Instagram that he was messaging random people was not appropriate. Oh, Um, wow. And then he also got his ass kicked out of Canada for trying to illegally live there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was wild. I mean, cause the worst part was like at this time we're working very heavily and closely with Matt from the planet smashers. He liked us still likes us, I think. Um, and he was giving us shows like awesome shows. Like he's, he would message me and go, you want to go on a three festival tour with the planet smashers i'm like fuck yes i do all in canada awesome not a problem then this dumbass gets kicked out of canada for trying to illegally live there (laughs) and he missed one of our shows because he thought he could just waltz back in (laughs) he called me and he's just like man they won't let me back in canada what the fuck and i'm like are you serious of course they're not gonna let you back in you stupid idiot like we knew that was going to happen and we weren't, we didn't let him ride with us in the van. We were like, if you're going to try to get in, you got to go on your own. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, again, let him go. So the other last gentleman, using that term very lightly, was <laughs> he was the guy who didn't show up to his own first show. He would cancel practice. I don't, I think he maybe made half of the practices in five years, half of them. Um, he never wrote his own horn lines after Tony joined, just let her do it all. And he was stealing from us merch wise. He was pocketing money. So we were finally like, that's, that's it. He's gone, you know, and it was COVID. So all of our shows are canceled. Everything was just shut down. And I turned to the band and I said, guys, I said, I know you're not going to love what I have to say, but I said, I want all three of them gone. And I'd been saying this for a very long time, um, but it was, how could you, when you, we had so many shows and we didn't know how to like operate because we didn't have any replacements, nothing. We just kind of like let things slide. And um, so amazingly, everybody was actually on board at that point. I think everybody was just tired of it. So I sent out a message and I just said, Hey, I said, I talked with the band. I said, I think we're going to have to part ways with you guys. Um, if you'd like to call me, we can discuss this. And I gave each one an individual reason of like, why never heard from the girl. She was like, Oh, you guys are toxic. I'm I'm done with you anyway. I was like, yeah, good. Goodbye. Um, then with, uh, the keyboard player, he called me, he tried to argue a little bit. No big deal. Let that go. He came, picked up his stuff peacefully. That was it. The, the sax player, however, decided to send me back a trademark with a message saying, just so you know, your band is done. Change your name and write up new music because I own the band. 
So we're all in hysterics laughing because we're like, okay, big shot. Like, I'm sure you did that. That costs money and keep as fucked. Yeah. My literal response at the time was like, I don't think you understand how this works. <laughs> I mean, you don't trademark music. You trademark a name. So you could already tell he didn't really know what he was doing. And all the copyright, that's what you do with music is you copyright it, would be through myself, Tony, or Asian Man Records, who has put this stuff out for us. Um, so we just laughed at him. Continued on our way. Tony's learning keyboards because she was going to be, you know, keyboard sax. We get this, I get a notice in the mail from a lawyer. And it's a cease and desist. And at this point, I'm like, is this guy, like, is he on drugs? Like, what? I don't know what the hell's going on. I couldn't believe it. But he actually trademarked the name years before we kicked him out. I think like 2019, he trademarked it. Wow, did, so he anticipated this? Yeah. So, so we have a theory. And, you know, in all fairness, we could be completely wrong because it is a theory. But around the time... You know, when I joined the band, we never had any money. And I was always asking Mike, like, you know, why, why don't we have money? Like I see Evan sells stuff at shows all the time. And Mike was like, I don't know. We just don't make money. I was like, well, let me take over merch. And I bet you will have money suddenly. Um, so I took over merch and suddenly the band had money. And our theory is that after I took over merch from him, he went and trademarked the name of the band is like a safeguard safe. Yeah, like like a way to like protect himself. I don't know. I'm not really quite sure. Um, but it was around the same time. It was in, in 2019. Um, it could have also been because we were re- like recording an album too. Like there's a, a couple possibilities, but um, he's very business minded and he often sues people. So this isn't something that is very much a su- I mean, it's a surprise because who does this? But at the same time, like he has a history. Yeah, he's got a history of doing these kinds of things. <laughs> so wow. we we end up like contacting Tony's sister, who is a lawyer or went to law school. And she recommended a trademark lawyer for us. Now, we didn't want to do this. I called up Mike and Mike's response was, change your name to the abrupter ska. Problem solved. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a cool name, though. So I was like, I don't know if that's how that works. Um, and it turns out it's not. Um, so, you know, I, I, I got a free like consultation with this lawyer and she told me, she's like, yeah, that's don't do that. She's like, that makes you look like you don't want your own name. I was like, okay. So she was really kind. And after listening to our story, she was like, this is also really stupid. Um, and so she, out of the kindness of her heart, decided to not charge us anything and just charge us like the government fee. But the government fee to fight this was massive. Yeah, it was, it was three grand just to respond to Evan and like say that he wasn't the rightful owner of the trademark. Now. So she says to us, what he did was fraudulent. It's, it's completely illegal, but the way a trademark works that if he got through the system, even if it's fake, I now have to prove that it's fake. And while I could do that, she said to me, you can win at $200 or you can win at $10,000. She's like, how do you want to win? And I was like, well, shit, we don't make any money. You know what I mean? We can just go spending $10,000 to get my own damn name back. So we decided like, we're going to file the paperwork somehow. 
and just go from there. We had kind of like a cutoff point of how much money we were going to spend, but we had to come up with $3,000. So this is kind of weird. We get this random email from IBM, the computer company, and they're like, hey, uh, we're looking to put together a uh, online concert for all of our um, workers during the, the lockdown. And we saw your videos of you playing in your living room. And we're going to pay you $3,000 to make oh. a couple of those for us. And I was like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> I, I thought it was fake. And the guy's like, no, he's like, seriously, I'll just pay you $3,000 if you make these videos. I'm like me sitting on a couch with my bandmates with horrible audio quality. And you're going to pay me $3,000. And he did. Yeah, it's exactly like a movie where the characters are, the problem is set up. That's the, the lawsuit and the $3,000. And then the solution comes by way of a, a company wanting to pay you the exact amount. The exact amount. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? And so the only stipulation they had, which is also kind of funny, was that they saw in our videos, I had a Chinkies poster and they wanted it down because they thought I was, I guess, a racist. <laughs> so they were like even though we think you're racist we really like your videos and uh <laughs> i guess they were cool with me just taking it down yeah and so luckily like the guy who actually had hired us was like i actually know the chinkies he's like i tried to explain to them that's not what it is and they're like nope gotta go down so <laughs> we took that down but uh yeah we made these videos paid us the money we fought them it got a little weird Cause I started getting, uh, all of our stuff started coming down. So he's ta- sending takedown notices, lost our band camp, lost our Spotify, Spotify, lost our YouTube. We somehow thank God kept the Facebook. I have no idea how we managed that. I think, cause I guess their, their rules are different because you can make, I can make a star Wars page if I want and the star Wars can't take it down. Mm. So he makes this abrupters page. And this is kind of funny because I messaged Adam about this. Yeah. And he starts inviting all of my friends. <laughs> and I was like messaging them. I'm mortified, right? I think when I messaged Adam, I'm like, hey, dude, I'm like, this is embarrassing. Um, this guy stole my band name and decided to start a whole nother one. Could you please unlike the page? I had to send that out to like 100 people. It was so embarrassing. But all of them were very understanding. Um, cause they were like, yeah, I was like, I thought I liked your band. I don't know what the fuck is going on. And I would tell them and they would say the guy, the ugly suits, yeah. he yeah. owns the band. I was like, that's what I really wanted to get to Yeah, <laughs> the ugly suits. Dude, Carnes, have you seen this dude's suits? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like all completely checkerboard head to toe, yeah. <laughs> but like white and, and blue. Right. He had a bunch of them. He had he had the uh, flamingo suit with the shorts. He had the Boston's suit with the plaid. He even at the very end, and I hope he feels really stupid about this now, had a suit made with our logo on it. Oh my god! I hope he's still wearing that one. My favorite though is sometimes I don't have a filter and I just say what's on my mind. And he showed up um, to a show in a suit from that head to toe was just like gumballs. And me being the person that I am literally burst out laughing and said, you look like a clown. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, and then I felt bad, but, <laughs> but then you, then you, then you stopped feeling bad a little while later. Yeah. But at first I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. It was probably 
a little mean, but then later I was like, nah, he deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt bad in, originally because he would show up, have like a backwards hat. You know, you just look really out of place. And I was like, Evan, I've seen you wear these really nice suits in some of your Facebook photos. I'm like, why don't you make that your thing? Put on that really nice white suit you have. And so instead of taking that advice, he was just heard the word suit and he started having these really bad custom suits made. So I feel like I blame myself for that one. Yeah. I, and red, red flag early on. Oh, there's a lot of red flags from him early on. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, we take, we take this money, we fight him, and I start getting more notices, cease and desists. And the best one, we're going to get it framed some days, is really funny, was it says, Evan Kaminsky is the creator of the abruptors. He is the creative mind behind everything that happened. He wrote all of the music. I'm like, that was amazing. I didn't know he was so talented. Um, he just apparently did everything. He ghost wrote through Mike. <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing. So it's just, you know, it was laughable. Absolutely laughable. And all the while, Mike is trying to play like nice guy, like right? Like Mike Park. He's sending him an email. He's just like, hey, man. He's like, I heard, you know, there's some things going on. He's like, let me know if there's anything that I can do to try to just put an end to this. You know, we don't need to do this. It's 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 cool. Like, let's just talk about it. And Evan's response was, I'll talk to my lawyer and let you know. Well, that wasn't good with Mike. He was like, he texted me and he's like, all right, fuck this guy. He's like, we tried to be nice. He's like, fuck this piece of shit. <laughs> um, you know, everybody thinks Mike is the nicest guy in the world and he totally is, but don't piss him off because he can also oh, be yeah. very angry as you guys, I'm sure you know. Oh, we've seen, we've seen the dark side of Mike. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, Mike starts going down this like rabbit hole and it's really funny because now he's just like, all right, what do you need? He's like, how much money do you need? We're going to fucking bury this guy. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay. I was like, well, let's take a step back. I'm like, I don't want to borrow money from you. And then like, owe you $10,000. I'm like, let's see if we can like end this without, you know, borrowing money. But he was totally on our side and we really appreciate it because he was ready to just like throw money at us and he told me some funny stories about like when people piss him off that he's gone after them even if he's lost you know just so that because when people do dumb things it's not right yeah there's the principal element that and that's what it was for mike and every like thing mike saw after that was just like digging this deeper hole and then what really got him was that when our spotify was taken down Mike gets a notice from Spotify that says, yo, you put up something that was from a trademark band. And if you do that again, we're going to remove your whole entire Asian man catalog from Spotify. And that was the nail in the coffin for that guy. Mike lost his mind. He's like, oh, you're going to fucking threaten me now? He's like, okay. So, and I mean, Mike could have easily dropped us and be like, you guys are way more trouble than you're worth. You got a lot of fucking problems, you know? Um, but instead he stuck by us and basically long story short, we decided to send him finally a message that he was sending us nothing but threats. So we were like, okay, here's a counter deal instead of paying you money. Cause he wanted money at this point. Now he's trying to extort us. He wants money for us to drop this trademark. And we're like, you dumb idiot. You paid for a trademark. You shouldn't have paid for And we paid a government fee we shouldn't have paid for. We could have taken that $3,000 and recorded a new album. 
So we were like, how about this? Mike Park, myself, Tony, two other members of the band, don't sue your dumb ass and you fucking drop it willingly and you never touch our fucking name again. And somehow he got really scared and it, he just completely dropped it. I imagine like, like it sounds like he overplayed his hand too. Like if, if he had just said like, I got the trademark, you know, it's a little bit of a more of a gray area, but making the claim that he wrote all the music and oh, yeah. he started the band and all these things that were like provably false. Yes. That, that kind of just proves that he's lying. But if he, if he had stayed in a more of a, like um, of a more, you know, didn't overplay it and just was like, Oh I, yeah, I made the trademark. It's mine. You know, like that, that could be an area where he could have really. And that's what the lawyer was afraid of. She's like, you know, he had that right with the trademark. And so we would have fought that and it could have cost us thousands and tens of thousands of dollars. The thing about a trademark though, is you have to prove first use. And so whether Evan claimed like, you know, that he wrote these things and he didn't, or he was the person that started the band and he didn't, he still would have had to prove that. Um, because the way the trademark works is like whoever used it first in commerce is the one who kind of like owns it. So he, it, it was a losing battle for him really either way. It was just a matter of like, how much were we going to put into it? The good thing about me is like, especially in the early days, I documented everything. So my computer is full of like all our first shows, first videos. He's not in half of them. Like he's, he's just not there because he just wouldn't show up. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of documentation. Um, I think I even had some text messages between me and the, uh, the other guy I did this with about talking about quitting the B-side bastards and starting this band. And Evan at that point was not part of the conversation as I was trying to leave him behind. My favorite part though, is the documentation that Evan submitted when he said that he owned the trademark oh, it's is literally a, like the, um, it's a picture of me. It's a seven set. Yeah. It's a picture of Mike. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's your government working for you. Right. That's, uh, that's, that's, the proof. that's all the proof they needed. It's pretty funny though. And he also got denied like three or four times, which is also funny. So I, I don't know what the hell happened there. But one of the cool things is, is that like, he was like, okay, I want a non-disclosure agreement. And we were just like, mm, no, we paid $3,000 to fight this. So we're going to talk about it and let people know that you're a piece of shit. So, <laughs> That's what your $3,000 bought you. It did. Yeah. yeah. And he actually was like, all right, fine. You can talk about it. I'm like, cool. Let people know that you're a scumbag and uh, not to work with you. <laughs> so, I mean, if that's all I got out of it, I'm happy. Yeah. It was a horrible thing while you're going through it. You know, and I listened to the Mephiscopolis episode that you guys did. And I was actually so surprised to learn that they went through something similar on a much grander scale. Yeah. That pretty much destroyed their band. And we love them. We've been working with them for a very long time. Awesome, awesome people. And I felt so bad that that happened to them. Um, but, you know, on a smaller scale, we do understand what that's like. And we we're very lucky to get our name back. And honestly, I feel like after um, we came back with, with newer people and I mean, it's been better than ever for us. Like people who want to be here, people who really love what we do and the shows we've been getting, especially recently have just been awesome. We did end up losing our bass player a little while ago for just some personal reasons. And we found an amazing bass player right away. So nice. We're real happy with like where we are, the people we have, you know, the new people, TJ was our first new person. She was on the valve trombone. I remember on the Mike park episode, you guys were talking about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
It's a very unique instrument. Yeah, not not a lot of valve trombonists in the ska world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there is not. But that was just like, I'm not a huge trumpet guy, especially like at that time, Tony was going to play saxophone, maybe two or three songs out of a set. So like we needed something that could be like a lone instrument. And she was a trumpet player. And I'm like, that's really high. We came from having a baritone and a tenor saxophone to like a trumpet. It was like, yeesh, that just didn't work with our music. So she suggested I have an opportunity to buy a, a valve trombone. She's like, what do you think? And it ended up working out. So noticeably cheerless. You guys, you said you recorded it uh, in the summer of 2021? Yep. So by the time you recorded it, all of this band stuff had been sorted out and you had a new lineup ready to go? Uh, yes, yes. By that point, it was all done. Okay. And actually, some of the songs that we wrote were actually about the situation, which is Best Wishes, Warmest Regards, was literally, I wrote that kind of funny. I was sitting in a playground with my son. He's climbing on the jungle gym. It's sunny. All the kids are laughing. You know, it's probably birds chirping somewhere. I don't fucking remember. But, you know, it was a very classic, almost Disney-esque day. And here I am in this, like, bench writing this song. I'm like, this fucking piece of shit. You know, I'm writing every evil thing I can think about. It was just supposed to be like almost like a therapeutic thing as a joke. And I sent it to Tony and she's like, that's a great song. She's like, you got to get rid of this one line. I think it was, you got to rot in hell or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So Tony was like, yeah, let's, uh, let's change that line. (laughs) I was like, it's a little strong. I was like, we're going to tone it down just a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But it ended up being like such an awesome song for us. But yeah, we had the new lineup by the time we recorded. Um, And the horns though, I should point that out. were just the two. It was Tony and TJ. They're so talented. Like TJ is doing trumpet. She's doing valve trombone. Tony plays alto, Barry, tenor. Like, so we got this massive horn section on the album. It's mm. just the two of them. Very nice. Yeah. You never underestimate the value of a two piece horn section in a ska band. Yeah. Yeah. But now we're back to three somehow. So just can't shake those horns, Mike. Oh my God. <laughs> well, we did that. So we did that ME330 cover. And uh, we were having like some discussions with Mike about at the time, our current bass player, like Mike was trying to get, get him to leave. And uh, he wanted me to get another horn player as well. And he's like, I'm going to start messaging people. I was like, no, I was like, don't do that, please. Don't, don't do that. And so he did it anyway. Um, And he put out like, do I know any horn players in Buffalo? And uh, a couple people responded. Some people we had, known and we were like no not them uh and then this guy just like randomly messages us and he says hey i saw mike park's post about your uh horn player needs and it was like this massive novel of like can i please play with you and it was kind of like a greg situation where it was like a lot at one time (laughs) and you're just like oh hold this person off but ended up being absolutely wonderful he's a super nice guy he lives about an hour and a half away from us so he's got a bit of a commute, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's turning my uh, hatred for the people who play horns something a little bit nicer. <laughs> I was I was gonna say you're gonna eat your words because we have a really good. Uh, yeah, I think we have just have a really good group in general right now. But it's amazing. I mean, TJ and Kyle on on horns, they're both really good at what they do, and they both practice all the time. They send us videos of them just practicing together. It's incredible. Don't go anywhere. 
If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at In Defense of Scott. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defense of Ska, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigon, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.